Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 through 7. In just a few days, it will be Christmas. For many Jewish people, Christmas can raise some interesting questions about faith and the Hebrew scriptures. On today's episode of Our Hope, we are going to explore this holiday through Jewish eyes, and we have invited back Chosen People Ministries President, Dr. Mitch Glazer, to help us. Dr. Glazer, welcome back to Our Hope. Thanks, Abe. Wonderful to be with you today. So as we approach Christmas, I am curious, do you have any favorite holiday food, whether for Christmas or Hanukkah, which we just finished celebrating? Wow, what a wonderful way to start a podcast to talk (laughs) about one of my favorite topics, food. I love it. Um, Well, I I was born in, in Queens in a very, well, I was born in Brooklyn, raised in Queens in a very, very Jewish home. And so I looked forward every year to eating potato pancakes, what we call potato latkes, mm. greasy, fried, uh, chopped, on, you know, ground onions yeah. and, and potatoes, oh, just absolutely delicious. And it represents, because it's made with so much oil, it represents the oil that lasted for eight days when it should have lasted only for one day right. in the temple when it was repossessed by the Maccabees and the eternal light was relit and surprised everybody by lasting eight days and not one. And that is the heart of the Hanukkah miracle. Now, Abe, whether that really happened or not, we don't know. (laughs) But what did I care? I got presents for every day of the eight days and, (laughs) and got to eat latkes. So I'm happy. So with latkes, a very important and controversial issue, sour cream or applesauce? Yes, and and of course the answer to that is yes. The, uh, but but I but wait a minute. I have one one addition to that that some of the listeners are now going to step away and and uh, cough or do something, get a glass of water. I love applesauce. I love sour cream, but I also eat them with ketchup. <laughs> so. Well, that makes sense. It's potatoes like French fries. <laughs> so. Exactly my point. (laughs) Well, that's great. Uh, Speaking of traditions, uh, do you have any holiday traditions in your home with your family? Oh, we have lots of holiday traditions, but it usually costs me a lot of money. (laughs) And so we're supposed to give the kids, good thing I only have two girls, but uh, now a son-in-law. So it's it's getting expensive. (laughs) And so it's a, a gift every night. And, uh, you know, they get more expensive as they go on. And then you want that really big gift 
for Hanukkah also. <laughs> and so we do give, we've always given one gift a night and it's always been a lot of fun. We like the, the Hanukkah menorah every night uh, as a family. And uh, more recently we have done this on Zoom, if you can believe it. Yeah. And, uh, but it works, it works. And so we exchange gifts. And then we always got together as, as a family. I remember growing up, one of the high points of my year, growing up in, in Queens in a co-op, uh, you know, co-op apartment, mm-hmm. uh, there was always a community room. And uh, we had uh, maybe 40, 50, 60 of our extended family in this community room uh, every year for a Hanukkah party. And my uncle, Solly, Abe, this is really important to, to know about me. My uncle, Solly, was a Brooklyn fireman, hmm. salt of the earth, tough as nails, Jewish guy. And uh, he would always dress up as Judah Maccabee. He made a sword out of aluminum foil. He had on a, a, a shield made out of aluminum foil. And for some unbelievable reasons, he wore tights. I don't know why he thought Judah Maccabee wore tights, but he felt like that went with the outfit. Oh, and there man. was nothing like seeing my tough fireman, Brooklyn, Uncle Sally running around in tights with a aluminum foil sword. <laughs> but I, again, I didn't care because the food was good. Lots of latkes and lots of presents. But that's what I remember. Lots of wonderful, wonderful, warm uh, family opportunities and experiences yeah. uh, during the Hanukkah season. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. All those memories seem even more distant because of the year we've had. It seems so strange to gather. It seems so strange to do the things that were so normal back then. So, it, you know, it, it's going to be an interesting holiday season. Well, at least we will we'll now have pictures of our Zoom meetings <laughs> and just looking back on them still alive and well and yeah. with our families, I'm sure in the future will be very meaningful. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So we're going to jump into Christmas. There's one question that I love to ask, particularly about you and uh, when you came to know Jesus as your Messiah, uh, there is something that I know that Jewish people kind of struggle with. So the idea that God became a man is difficult for Jewish people to accept. As a Jewish believer, how did you come to understand the incarnation? Well, you know, first and second commandment, no other gods and no false images. And mm-hmm. so in Jewish tradition, the fact, the idea that God could become corporeal, become a man, was viewed as both a false god and a graven image. So that's, you know, two strikes out of three. You know, you can't, it's it's pretty bad. And uh, they're so serious, it's probably four, equals four strikes. And so growing up in a Jewish home, uh, I would say that understanding the incarnation as a Jewish concept would be about the furthest thought from my mind. When I was searching for the Lord when I was about 18 years old, and uh, really thinking about Jesus because my two best friends had become believers in Jesus and they were both Jewish and and we were all living uh, in San Francisco at the time. Uh, I became very, very drawn to the person of Jesus. Um, but it was a, a circuitous route. I was reading my Bible, the Old Testament, in English, not in Hebrew, though I was raised pretty Orthodox and and read the Bible in Hebrew, but didn't understand everything. And so by reading it in English, I really uh, understood it and loved it. I thought it was a great story, mystery, drama, romance, war. I mean, it has everything in it. And uh, I began really seeking God. And I, I pray, God, if you're really there, show me. And I was working uh, at a uh, campground in the Redwood Forest in a 
Marin County uh, outdoor education program where we took kids from the inner city, uh, fifth and sixth graders down to the redwood forest and taught them about redwood trees, banana slugs, and other important creatures. And so there I was sort of in a beautiful, beautiful spot and reading the, uh, reading the Bible, basically trying to disprove to my two Jewish friends that Jesus was the Messiah. Of course, I didn't know what I was doing, but the more I read, the more I yearned for a, a relationship with God and finally couldn't take it anymore. And I said, show me the truth. That very night, I went down to a phone booth in the middle of the Redwood Forest in this campground and glowing in the moonlight on the ledge where there should have been a phone book. If you don't know what a phone booth or a phone book is, look it up in Wikipedia. <laughs> there on the ledge, glowing in the moonlight. Now, I was into drugs at the time, and so a lot of things glowed, but this was definitely <laughs> glowing for real. And so there, glowing in the moonlight, was a strange book. I picked it up. I looked at it. Weird chapters, Matthew, Mark, Luke, who ever heard of chapters like that? Right. And then it, on the front, it I finally looked at it and said, good news for modern man, a modern English version of the New Testament. So I put two and three together and got four, but at least I, I figured it out that I had prayed, God, show me the truth. Show me how I'm supposed to get to you. And there in the middle of the Redwood Forest is a copy of the New Testament. Now, I have to tell you, later on, I realized after I put everything together we were renting a Christian campground <laughs> and there may have been New Testaments all over the place, but I never saw one until it was there on the ledge of the phone book right, uh, right. booth because I had prayed, God showed me the truth. So I stole the New Testament and began reading it every night. And uh, the more and more I read it, the more I came to two or three conclusions. And I went back and forth because it had, you know, it had little references to the Old Testament. And so I went back and forth. And I read some of the prophecies in the Old Testament, like Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 7:14, and, and other passages that I could not believe were in my own Jewish Bible. Right. And one day I thought to myself, you know, if God was to be like anybody, he would be like Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it was at that moment that I realized I could believe this because it actually made sense to me right. in light of learning about who he was from reading the Gospels. And so immediately I accepted Jesus as my Savior and I accepted the divinity of Jesus, even though it went against everything. And I was raised modern Orthodox, everything that I was raised with. Yet it was so incontrovertible that I came to feel that if I didn't believe that Jesus was God in the flesh, that I could never believe anything else in the future. And so that's how it happened to me, Abe. It happens differently to every Jewish person, but it's yeah. a big hump we all need to get over. Well, that uh, brings an interesting question. So why was it even necessary for Yeshua to come to earth as a human and as a baby? Couldn't God have accomplished this as just appearing as a man? <laughs> Well, Abe, I'm afraid that's a question you're going to have to address to God. Uh, I, I'm not designated to speak on his behalf. So, although I try once in a while, yeah. I think there are a couple of reasons why it was so important. I mean, there are the, the logical reasons because he had to be a perfect sacrifice. So he had to live as a man. He had to live a perfect life. He had to resist sin mm -hmm. without any failure. And, uh, but a lot of this we learned from the New Testament. 
he had to fulfill Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53 talks about him being sinless and perfect. And actually, Isaiah 53 does not particularly lead us to the conclusion that the servant Messiah in that chapter is God in the flesh. You have to look a little deeper for that. And that is because he didn't sin. He was a perfect sacrifice. So you can only draw one conclusion to that, that it must have been a God in the flesh. But I think you'll you'll just have to, uh, we're just going to have to leave this one uh, with God himself. But I do believe from another way of looking at it, that in order for Jesus to be the Messiah, he had to be God in the flesh because there were many other prophecies in the Old Testament that predicted this. Therefore, if Jesus was to be the fulfillment of messianic prophecies, that he had to be God in the flesh. What are some of those prophecies? Well, it goes back to the very beginning. Genesis 3.15 is probably known as the first messianic prophecy in the Bible. And it speaks about a man uh, who will have his heel injured while at the same time crushing the head of the serpent, and that that one who had his heel uh, wounded would not be, it would be injured, but it wouldn't be a fatal injured, and that he uh, would be the son of the woman. And so read Genesis 3.15, is called the Proto-Evangelium, first, event, first Messianic prophecy in the Bible. And so it begins there, that in some ways, whoever the Redeemer would be, he would be a human being, he would be a man. And he would destroy the devil in the process, and in the process, be injured himself. Uh, the very next chapter, in Genesis chapter 4, we read about the birth of Cain and Abel. And uh, one mysterious little passage. So let me just read this. Now, the man had relations with his wife, Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, and you ready? Here it is. I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Now, the help of in most Bibles is in italics because it's not in the original Hebrew. So let me retranslate. And she said, I have gotten a man-child, the Lord. Hmm. And Jehovah is used. I have gotten a man-child, the Lord. So that may have been a clue or a hint to Eve's understanding of what God said in Genesis 3.15. Now, study that further, and I think you'll be amazed to see that. That's a messianic prophecy. You don't have to pay any extra for this in listening to that (laughs) podcast, but it's not often brought out, but it's very significant. In Genesis 49.10, we learn that whoever the Messiah would be uh, would be born in Judah. In uh, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, we have a very interesting prophecy that tells us two important aspects of Messiah's birth. Number one, that it would be born in Bethlehem, but also about his nature. But you, O Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will come forth from me to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, even from everlasting. There we have two Hebrew words, Olam and Kedem, used in tandem. When they're used in the Old Testament, it's usually a reference to God himself. So again, let me recast the prophecy. Bethlehem, from you will come forth a ruler in Israel who will be God himself. 
So God would be a Jewish ruler who would be born in Bethlehem. And that's a very uh, interesting prophecy as well. But you understand, all of these together build a case. Isaiah 7:14, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. In fact, the Im is the with, and the L is the God. So you can all say, and his name will be with us, God. A couple chapter, chapters later in, in Isaiah chapter 9, uh, we read the verse that you read at the beginning of the podcast. His names will be Wonderful Counselor, will be Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father or Father of Eternity, the Prince of Peace. But then if you carry that over to uh, chapter 9, verse 7, we read that he will reign on the throne of his father, David, forever. What king do any of us know who has a forever reign? The answer is none except that great messianic king, the son of David, Jesus the Messiah. And all of this, of course, is corroborated in the New Testament. So you have a very strong case in the Old Testament for the deity of Jesus. I normally don't do this on the podcast, but I, this feels like a great plug for our Feinberg Center, Charles L. Feinberg for Messianic Studies. Folks, if what you're listening to is encouraging you, blowing your mind like it is mine, you know, we have a graduate program called the Charles L. Feinberg for the Messianic Jewish Studies. Dr. Glazer occasionally teaches there with a few others, and you can learn all about this. So if you're interested, visit our website, FeinbergCenter.com. Just reach out to us and we'll get you all the information you need. Thanks so much for the plug, Abe. And I want you to know that we want to train anyone who's serious about bringing the gospel to the Jewish people. Thank you, Mitch, for for just breaking all of those scriptures down. I, I learned so much in that. Even um, I, I didn't know that Cain scripture, <laughs> that what was a uh, messianic prophecy. And so thank you for teaching me in that moment. Um, I, I want to talk about a couple of things that could be a little controversial, but I think it's worth noting. First question, does the Messianic community celebrate Christmas? In general, no. The Messianic Jewish community celebrates celebrates Hanukkah, usually. We appreciate Christmas. None of us are particularly Scrooges, but most of us were not raised to celebrate Christmas. And so even though we believe strongly, and our salvation depends upon the incarnation. So, you know, i of course, I always tell everybody that I believe in the incarnation every day of my life, but uh, we don't usually celebrate uh, Christmas with all of its wonderful and warm uh, traditions, but we're always happy to, to visit somebody's home and eat a Christmas dinner and enjoy it, as long as it's not a big Christmas ham, Abe. But we're always uh, happy to enjoy a, a Christmas dinner, and we, we love coming, and if there are presents under the tree for us, we'll come even more frequently. <laughs> So Mitch, over the years, as European artists began painting the nativity scene, and even today, as people decorate their homes for Christmas, the story of Yeshua's birth has become ingrained in our society. But when Jewish people see these decorations or paintings, they don't necessarily feel a connection to the story. So what are some of the Jewish elements of Yeshua's birth that have been lost over time? 
You know, Abe, this is a great question, but it's so hard for me to answer. So you ask, what are the Jewish elements of Yeshua's birth that have been lost over time? When it comes to the celebration of the Christmas holiday, I would say none. Yeah. There's nothing Jewish about it. And, and which is fine. We understand that Jesus is the Messiah for all people. And from my opinion, if you keep Jesus in the center of the Christmas story, then you understand he's the center of the holiday. He's the reason for the season and everything else. So that in my opinion, and probably for most Messianic Jews, there's a big difference between the biblical story of Jesus, even the early story, the birth narratives and so on, and Christian traditions regarding the birth narratives and the story. Jewish people never connected with the holiday traditions. We celebrate Hanukkah, but some Jewish people can connect with the history, uh, but they don't know the story. Mm-hmm. Now, intermarried homes are quite different. They're seeking for a more unified holiday tradition, which is where you get Christmas, you know, Christmas bushes or menorah trees. I don't know, you know, <laughs> however you want to, however you want to combine it, you know. Uh, but I believe that the unity uh, between uh, the story for the Christian and the story for the Messianic Jew is in the biblical narrative. And, and, and that's the official story. So I'm fine personally with all the Christmas traditions. But one of the ways we keep Jesus and the Christmas story and keep probably a deeper, more profound unity between Gentile Christians and Jewish believers is to, at this, especially at this time of the year, is to make it biblical. So if we emphasize the Jewish elements of the story, then we make Christmas, Christmas more Jewish. I like to say that, in fact, Christmas is a Jewish holiday because it's, it's the birthday of the Jewish Messiah. Right. So I, can I just give you a few points of suggestion? Yeah. Uh, idea of Messiah is a very Jewish idea. If you include details of Israel's geography, so a lot of Christians don't really know that Bethlehem or Bethlehem or Nazareth or the Sea of Galilee, the territory of Judah, uh, all of these uh, great biblical sites are found in Luke 2, verse 4. These are all important areas of Israeli geography that exist today. You can then also speak about the Jewish backgrounds regarding Jewish marriage traditions, which are rich and beautiful. In Luke chapter 2, verse 5, and Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through following, we learn about the relationship between Joseph and Mary, and we make this out to be this great love story. It was an arranged marriage. <laughs> they were of the right tribe, of, of the, they had the right genealogy, and uh, they may have come to love each other later on, but this was an arranged marriage between two kids. And we learn that when, uh, actually when Joseph was uh, found out that uh, Mary was pregnant, he was going to annul the betrothal document. Most Christians don't even know what a betrothal document is. And, and so the betrothal was as good as a marriage. It was a contract. Money was passed between the parents. And for Joseph to go against that marriage betrothal was humiliating to both sides of the families and might have led to Mary's death through stoning because she had committed 
some kind of adultery because betrothal was on the same level as marriage. And then if you go further in the story of, of Jesus, you have his circumcision and then the redemption of the firstborn on the 30th day. In Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 24, if, if you don't understand anything about the importance of circumcision in Jewish life or the redemption, pidyon uh, haben, the redemption of the firstborn, then you don't get it. And then look at Mary's Magnificat, a beautiful Latin word. Yeah. It was basically a Jewish love song to her, about her child. And it's in Luke 1, 54 through 55. And uh, some good advice, whenever in these early chapters of Luke and Matthew and Mark, of course, whenever you see Israel mentioned, please don't be a replacement theologian. When you talk about Israel, we're talking about Israel. And when we're talking, Mary's talking about the promises to Israel being fulfilled in Luke 1, 54 through 55, she's talking about the literal Israel. And then there's more messianic prophecies. There's prophecies from the book of Malachi about John the Baptist. There's stories about Jewish shepherds and understanding Israel's tribal divisions. Why was it so important that they were both from the tribe of Judah and the house of David? Studying God's covenants, for example, the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7, gives you the whole background for the birth narrative. And the early chronology of Jesus' life also gives you much more. So I think if you see the Jewish biblical side in the New Testament and old to the Jesus story, that you go beyond the traditions to a story that gives great unity between Christians and Messianic Jews. That was amazing. Thank you. Uh, I think <laughs> that that hit the topic of this podcast, seeing Christmas through Jewish eyes right on the head. That was that was perfect. So talk to me about the date December 25th. Oh, I have a great I have a great story. <laughs> Go for it. All right. So I was I was doing some chosen people ministries in Israel. And uh, I was on my way down the Bethlehem Road. Uh, I was on my way to a town called Arnona, not Bethlehem. And then I actually went a little bit beyond it. And uh, we had a we had a problem uh, because um, it's a it's a regular kind of road. And uh, all of a sudden uh, there was a shepherd. This is oh, by the way, it was in December. It was cold. It was rainy. And all of a sudden the traffic stopped because a shepherd was crossing the street. <laughs> with a bunch of sheep. And I'm looking at this saying, wow, all those Christians and Messianic Jews who think that Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles uh, period in October, was when Jesus was born because it would have been too cold for shepherds to be shepherding sheep in December. I think they were wrong, unless this is really global warming, you know? <laughs> and and so uh, I think that it's a lot of speculation. Yeah. And uh, we, we, we have to be take an agnostic position on the date, Abe. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some reasons that are decent for why people say it's October, but I wouldn't write off December. Uh, the reason why a lot of people write off December is because it's time with Scandinavian folklore and, and religion, and that was pagan. And uh, people felt that there was an amalgamation or a melding uh, between uh you know, Nordic folklore and, and the Bible. And they're trying to, uh, uh, not, they're trying to counter that. And I understand that. And I don't, 
but it's, you know, so, but I wouldn't write off the December date. Let's, yeah. let's, let's hold it for a moment. We'll see. We'll, we'll talk it over with him when we see him. I, I guess the important thing is why we're celebrating, not so much the date. He's the reason for the season eight. Yep. As we wrap up, I have a few more questions for you um, just about this holiday season. Hanukkah and Christmas obviously didn't overlap this year, but we still want to point out the connection between the two holidays. So can you briefly share some of the ways Hanukkah and Christmas are linked? Sure. Once again, Abe, I just have to tell you that I much prefer uh, Hanukkah over Christmas. And you can do the math and you'll understand why. How many Christmas presents do you usually get? One. <laughs> One. How many Hanukkah presents do you get? Well, I'm Puerto Rican, so I get none. <laughs> I'm Jewish. I get eight. So if I'm a Jewish Christian or a Messianic Jew and I get eight for Hanukkah and one for Christmas, which one would you choose? Both. <laughs> okay. There you go. So that's what a lot of people do. Get nine. And so I think nine is better than, than one. And, and it's even better than eight. But seriously speaking, besides the presence, which of course speaks to the generosity during this season of the year, recognizing God's generosity with us. So that is a common theme when we think yeah. about God's bounteous love for his, his children. Uh, I think it's a wonderful link between the seasons. The theme of light is also a beautiful common theme uh, because he's the light of the world. Although to be blunt, that was said on tabernacles and, uh, so, but two chapters later, we do have Hanukkah. Yeah. And that's in John chapter 10. In verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. Why did he pick Hanukkah to say that I and the Father are one? Because everything about Hanukkah has to do with the Hebrew word Hanukkah, which means dedication. When Mattathias and his sons, the Maccabees, when they refused to worship the statue of Antiochus Epiphanes. They did it because they wanted to be obedient to the first two commandments. And they didn't want to have any other gods before them. They didn't want to worship a graven image. And I think that Jesus uh, and, and I think God the Father approved of this. I think that it, it, I think that, that part of the story really happened and that God always approves of people when we turn away from idolatry. But I think that uh, the Jewish people were so against idolatry that they they probably uh, missed the forest for the trees because when Jesus came and said, I am the Father of one, in uh, chapter, at the, uh, at the uh, end of chapter 10, it says they picked up stones to throw at him. And the reason was because it was blasphemy because he considered himself equal with, with God. And I think this whole theme of being willing to die rather than to be an idolater is embedded in Jewish life and tradition. Lots of great stories about it as well. But I think Jesus was speaking to this issue and saying, look, the, the Hebrew scriptures never denied incarnation. They never said God wouldn't come, become flesh to rescue mankind. It's a very Jewish thing to believe. I and the Father are one. You do well in renouncing the false gods of the Greeks. But don't renounce the idea of incarnation, because that's still a very important teaching in the in the Torah, in the Tanakh, in the Hebrew Bible, and that's why I can say that I and the Father are one. And of course, the Jewish people picked up stones and cried a blasphemy. But there were many Jewish people, and there are many Jewish people today who say, you know what? 
believing that God became a man is actually the fulfillment of prophecy and a requirement for the Messiah. What are some ways Jewish and Gentile communities can embrace each other during the holiday season, figuratively speaking, since we're in a pandemic? Um, how can we uh, remain connected? I think it's uh, it's good to appreciate one another's cultures. Uh, Abe, you do very well at that. And uh, I think that uh, understanding more about Hanukkah and understanding more about Christmas is good. I think that you can give gifts to Jewish people on Hanukkah if you're a Christian. And if you're a Jewish person or a Jewish believer, why not give gifts to your Gentile Christian friends? I think that planning activities with the children where they can get together online or they can get together in person, maybe in the, in the future and uh, learning uh, one another's stories and sharing presents and eat, sharing, uh, experiencing one another's traditional foods, as long as it's not the Christmas ham for the Jewish kids. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that there's a, a lot of commonality between uh, these celebrations. And I really believe that between Messianic Jews and born-again Christians, there can be some great commonalities of faith in telling one another's stories, experiencing one another's traditions uh, as well. But I think that reaching out with a really delicious plate of potato latkes to your Jewish friend who's not yet a believer is a brilliant evangelistic strategy. <laughs> so just to wrap up, last question. While many believers will be celebrating Yeshua's first arrival, we cannot help think about his return. So how does remembering Yeshua's birth give us hope for the future? I think we need a lot of hope during this time, Abe. And I think uh, as sure as Jesus came the first time, he's going to come the second time. In fact, many of the prophecies which talk about his first coming also talk about his second coming almost in the same breath. This is true of this great passage in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. So you have the virgin birth in Isaiah 7, 14. And as you run through up to chapter 11, a lot of Old Testament scholars will say, this is actually a section of Isaiah called the Book of Emmanuel. And there's lots of messianic promises in Isaiah chapter 11 as well, both first and second coming. But in Isaiah 9, 6, we learn about his names and those names for the Messiah those little Hebrew couplets of two Hebrew words, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. These are like windows into the very of nature, nature of God. And, uh, and so it tells us a lot about his first coming. But in verse 7, we learn that he's going to sit upon the house of the throne of David, his father, forever. And so we learn that it's not only uh, about his first coming, but his second coming. And so you can't separate between the first and second coming. So when I say the first coming paves the way for the second coming, and without the first coming, you can't have the second coming, I'm not just saying something trite. I'm saying something really, really important, that the two comings are linked together. The great work of the Messianic King was first to die, rise, and ascend for the sins of mankind. And the second coming, just as important, and just as, as as sure as the first coming is when he will he will come and restore the earth, take away the curse, reign on his rightful throne, wipe away every tear from our eyes, and there'll be no more death, no more darkness, and only light. And Abe, those are the things that we need to remember in the midst 
of a pandemic and in the midst of any kind of hard time we go through in life, we need to remember that this world is passing away and don't get too attached. But the new world, the age to come, the kingdom that we wait for is coming soon. Dr. Glazer, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Always a pleasure, Abe. And Merry Christmas and a belated happy Hanukkah to all. Christmas is a time when many gather with family, exchange gifts, and eat lots of food. But for those who believe in Yeshua, it is so much more than that. As this is the time of year when people all over the world are reminded that our Messiah came to earth, it is not just a story. It is a real-life event that was prophesied in the Hebrew Scriptures and recorded in the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament. God became a man and dwelt among us. For those who are celebrating Christmas this year, take some time during the day to reflect on how God has been faithful to keep his promises. The promise to bless the world through Israel by bringing us the greatest blessing, the Messiah, through this nation. The promise of a king who will reign forever and make everything right. And the promise of a great redemption to come. We pray that Jewish and Gentile people everywhere will discover the true hope that we have because of who we celebrate during Christmas. Yeshua, our Messiah. Thank you for joining this episode of Our Hope. This episode was made possible thanks to Dr. Mitch Glazer, Nicole Vaca, Grace Swee, and Kyron Bautista. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Our Hope. If you like our show and want to know more, check out OurHoperPodcast.com or ChosenPeople.com. See you next time.